If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, You are welcome here. Will you pray with me? The psalmist sounds so confident, Holy One. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And we want to warn them, advise them to lower their voice. Proceed with caution, practice a little humility. After all, trouble might hear. Worry could come calling. This kind of talk attracts bad news. And if the camel is allowed to get its nose under the tent, well. But then later the psalmist asks you to be gracious and reminds you to not hide your face which suggests that they thought you were being less than gracious and that they could not feel your presence. They even say that they seek you, Holy One, which implies that they, well, aren't quite sure where you are. But they're looking. Maybe we should give that a try. Seek you, that is, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, try to see where you are and how you are at work. And if we're too busy looking for you, then maybe we won't have time to be afraid. We'll be too focused on pulling threads of love and grace and gathering up moments of mercy and justice. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Be with us as we find our confidence, Holy One. With trusting hearts we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes again from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. 
Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Still reading the Corinthians mail, just picking up where we left off last week. Paul has greeted everyone and said some really nice things about the congregation. I, he really does lay it on thick. I, and you remember what he wrote from last week. I thank my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in God in speech and knowledge of every kind. Which means that by now, Paul's congregation is sitting up straighter in the pews. They've put their phones down. No one is lost in a daydream. They are leaning all the way into this pep talk from their pastor. Paul continues his sweet-as-sugar greeting. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone is feeling warm and fuzzy and just so glad to be in church. This is Preaching 101. Start with some pleasantries. Tell a nice joke. Compliment the congregation. Butter them up. And then, wham, drop the hammer. No more Reverend Dr. Nice Pastor. Senior minister strategery at its finest. The more clever the first few paragraphs, well, the more uncomfortable everyone will be by the last few paragraphs. Now you know. I mean, except that you probably already knew, because we don't play hide the ball around here. Paul gets right to it. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you should be in agreement. And there should be no divisions among you, but that you should be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. We can imagine that this line elicited some 
less than generous thoughts about Chloe's people from the congregation in Corinth. Chloe's people. Tattletales. Mind your business, Chloe's people. But it's also likely that the congregation knew exactly what Chloe's people had reported. They knew exactly what quarrels Paul was writing to them about. The church knows that Paul knows that they know that they have been acting unbecoming as followers of Jesus, dividing into cults of personality. Paul names them himself, Apollos, Cephas. It is a bit confusing when Paul names Christ. I mean, isn't we belong to Christ what we all should be saying? In context, though, suggests theologian Richard Hayes, it would seem that some of the Corinthians must have been claiming Christ as their leader in an exclusive way, as in, we are the ones who really belong to Christ and we're not sure about you. This indictment of dividing up into teams and cults of personality hits a bit too close to home for much of American Christianity. We really love our cults of personality. And this can happen on a large scale, as with TV preachers, or on a small scale, when groupies gather around the pastor in a local congregation. And all too often, clergy do nothing to discourage this despite our instructions to follow the humble way of Jesus, who, as scripture says, emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. To be generous when a pastor fails to remind the congregation that the church is the people, it's the pastor being like most everyone else in need of approval and affirmation, their self-esteem buoyed by the positive opinion of others. But, writes Professor Chuck DeGroote, it can be a sign of narcissism, a pastor who may be talented, charming, even inspiring, but they lack the capacity for self-awareness and self-evaluation, shunning humility for defensive self-protection. Psychologist Diane Landberg says of the narcissist pastor, he has many gifts, but the gift of humility. This is a real problem for much of American Christianity. But as I read this text, what really concerned me was Paul's call to unity now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you should be in agreement and that there should be no divisions among you, but that you should be united in the same mind and the same purpose. Paul thought that the call to unity was vital at the time for the church in Corinth, and it probably was, given the issues he knew was dividing the, the congregation. Now some argue that we could just copy and paste the message for today's church. It does seem that there is no end to what we are willing to fight over these days. So in such a divided time, a needed call to unity. But we must proceed with caution, or rather we must proceed with discernment 
for it has become a regular practice of the church to apply this teaching as a way to domesticate people of faith, encouraging the church to do nothing, say nothing, and be good, polite, pleasant little Christians. Can't everyone just get along? Don't ruffle anyone's feathers. Let's all agree to disagree, no matter the cost. This has become an acceptable sermon, even an acceptable Christian ethos, in large part because not everyone has to bear the cost. Only some do, almost always those who have the least privilege and power. The rest of us have the privilege of prioritizing unity over everything else, no matter the cost. White Christian America has a history of doing so, including liberals. Rabbi Dania Rutenberg explains what I'm getting at in her book on repentance and repair. She writes, shortly after the Civil War ended, Northern white clergy began preaching forgiveness, reconciliation, and unity with white Southerners at the expense of justice, or even safety for black Americans, whether newly emancipated or already free. One of the main proponents of this viewpoint was the white Congregationalist minister, Henry Ward Beecher, long known for his support of abolition alongside other progressive issues like Darwin's theory of evolution and women's suffrage. And yet, by 1865, he was preaching things like, there are no antagonistic interests between the North and the South. Religion, blood, business are same. And if there are no social or political reasons for hatred, why should we not be the best of friends? But more than that, Beecher encouraged white Northerners to ignore reports of abuse committed by white Southerners against black Americans. Writing, for example, in the New York Independent, you must not be disappointed or startled because you see in the newspaper's accounts of shocking barbarities committed upon newly liberated people. One reason for this approach, as the white historian Dr. Hannah Blank puts it, is that forgiveness and finding common ground between white Southerners and Northerners was part of the larger political project of thinking about the US as a union that was unbreakable. The stress that state level autonomy placed on the federal identity of the US as a whole was seen as something that had to be managed. And one of the ways to manage it was to approach it as, okay, we've had our fight, and now we need to kiss and make up so we can be Americans again. But that reunification was predicated not only on white Northerners ignoring white Southerners' violence against black people, but on the assumption that we who had been fighting were white, that the we who would kiss and make up were white, and that we would not ask anything of those so attached to the institution of slavery that they were willing to wage the bloodiest war in American history over it. We were all fine now, went the logic, and perhaps we, united in this way, 
could thus also exclude black Americans from the equation, making it easier to deny them the full rights of citizenship and belonging. This was a convenient way to re-inscribe white supremacy at a moment when it was in grave jeopardy. And it wasn't only the white Southerners who benefited. True reconstruction and repentance and justice and equality would have put white Northerners' superior social status at risk in ways that they were, one presumes, unwilling to entertain. Calling for forgiveness and unity without looking too hard at the atrocities in the South and those who committed them, enabled the white leaders of the North to move forward after the war without disrupting the status quo and the role they enjoyed within it. Our country as a whole, black and indigenous people in particular and black people most of all, have had to live with the legacy of these late 19th century choices to prioritize unity over accountability, forgiveness over repentance, in ways that have caused untold suffering and oppression for generations. Similar calls for unity without critical analysis have characterized other inflection points in the history of the United States, perhaps most recently around Donald Trump's defeat in the 2020 presidential election. Even before the election, white people were sharing memes online that said things like, guess who will be your friend no matter who you vote for? Know why? Because that's called being an adult. And we need to be able to disagree politically, but love unconditionally. These rather glib positive statements were made by those least impacted by Trump's embracing of white supremacists as very fine people, of his Muslim ban, his tear gassing of Black Lives Matter protesters and referring to them as thugs and terrorists, his referring to COVID-19 as the Chinese virus, his policy of separating migrant children from their parents, and his telling a far-right terrorist group, the Proud Boys, to stand back and stand by. After the election, Trump spent six weeks challenging Joe Biden's electoral victory in a series of losing court battles. He then, on January 6, 2021, incited a violent attempted coup to prevent the certification of Biden's win in the Electoral College. The Democrats in Congress immediately began discussing the possibility of impeachment proceedings to make Trump's role in this insurrection more public for the sake of accountability and to bar him from ever holding federal office again. In response, the White House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy released a statement on January 8th calling for unity. Impeaching the president with just 12 days left in his term will only divide our country more. I have reached out to President Biden today and plan to speak to him about how we must work together to lower the temperature and unite the country to solve America's challenges. As leaders, we must call on our better angels and refocus our efforts on working directly for the American people. United, we can deliver peace, strength, and prosperity our country needs. Divided, we will fail. The Cuban-American Florida Senator Marco Rubio tweeted on January 10th, Biden has a historic opportunity to unify America behind the sentiment that our political divisions have gone too far. But instead, 
he decided to promote the left's efforts to use this terrible national tragedy to try and crush conservatives or anyone not anti-Trump enough. But not everyone was having these calls to move forward. Makishana Pierre, a black woman, wrote, why is it that the price of unity has always been at the cost of our freedom? Why is it the job of those who are constantly denied their humanity the role of compromise? In the months following Trump's attempted coup, as in the post-Civil War era, we must ask who benefits when harm is swept under the rug and whose interests are even further marginalized when that happens. She continues, the next time unity and forgiveness are used as keywords during a time of great national tension, we must again stop and ask, unity at the expense of whose justice? This is the question for, of our time, church, to ask unity at the expense of whose justice. Paul's letter to the Corinthians urging unity was not intended to be used to sweep abuse, discrimination, and oppression under the rug. It was not meant to make everything seem okay, and it was certainly not supposed to prioritize unity over justice. What a gift it is that Paul's letter provides us the opportunity to come correct when it comes to unity, to make sure that it is not being used for more spiritual malpractice. As Rabbi Rutenberg encourages us, while we can't undo the past, we can address the present with integrity and endeavor to create a future that is much more whole than anything we can imagine from here. So let's begin. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.